Father, thank you for grabbing our attention this morning. We allow our lives to be so busy that sometimes we forget to neglect who it is we belong to and who it is we serve and your character. You are holy, perfect, set apart. And yet you have allowed us sinners, once enemies of yours, into your presence through the work of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh God, I ask that you would forgive us. When we live not recognizing who lives in us, and the impact that that should make on how we live. So God, as you have already been doing, would you continue to grab our attention this morning so that we would do as the choir sang this morning, repent and obey. We love you. It is truly an honor to be called your sons and daughters. I pray this in Jesus' name, who has made all this possible. Amen. Unless we regularly remind ourselves of his holiness, I think we will fail to live how he wants us to live. It's so key that we gather together and we spur one another on through our worship and that we are reminded of how great our God is and how holy he is and what a privilege it is to be his children, his representatives on this earth. And that's what we're going to look at this morning in our series in Deuteronomy on the move. We're going to look at the issue of how we live really matters. It really matters in light of his grace, his amazing grace. Last week, we left off our journey in Deuteronomy with the Lord graciously giving Moses the opportunity to go up Mount Pisgah and be able to survey the promised land that the second generation who he was leading were on the brink of possessing. And Moses knew that he would not be crossing the Jordan River with them because of his previous disobedience at Meribah. And so as a result, we saw last week that the Lord instructed Moses to commission Joshua and to encourage him and strengthen him, for Joshua would be the person who will lead the people to inherit the promised land. And so we find at the end of chapter 3 that the Israelites are camped in the valley of Beth Peor on the east side of the Jordan River, a place probably located opposite the city of Jericho in the promised land. And as we move into chapter 4 today, we will find, as one of my friends likes to say, Moses landing the plane on his first sermon. And he is wanting the people to take their focus off of their past, which he's been dealing with, to now focus on their present lives as they anticipate moving into the promised land. 
And there's a burden on Moses' heart, which we will see as we read through the passage today. And that is that he wants the people of God to grasp that how they live really matters. How they live moving forward into the promised land really matters, which is a great lesson that is applicable for us today on our journey as the people of God. Amen? How we live as God's people really matters, especially in light of His grace. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd ask you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4. We're going to read through, and I'm going to stop at different sections, make some points, but we're going to work our way through this first 40 verses of this chapter. So, Deuteronomy chapter 4. Now Israel, hear the decrees and laws I'm about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has given you. Do not add to what I command you. Do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. You saw with your own eyes what the Lord did at Baal Peor. The Lord your God destroyed from among you everyone who followed the Baal of Peor. But all of you who held fast to the Lord your God are still alive today. See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as the body of laws I'm setting before you today? Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb when he said to me, Assemble the people before me to hear my words so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while it blazed with fire to the very heavens with black clouds and deep darkness. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sound of words but saw no form. There was only a voice. He declared to you his covenant, the Ten Commandments, which he commanded you to follow, and then wrote them on two stone tablets. And the Lord directed me at that time to teach you the decrees and laws you are to follow in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Let's take a pause there. As we work through this chapter this morning, there are three ways that they and we are to live in response to God's amazing grace in our lives. And the first one is this, on the journey... Take God's word seriously. On the journey, take his word seriously. In his opening remarks, Moses gives the people five practical ways that they are to live in response to God's gracious gift of his words to his people. They are to hear them. They are to follow them. They are not to add to them. They are not to subtract from them. They are to keep the commands of the Lord their God. And through these five imperatives, Moses was highlighting for that second generation the urgency of their covenant requirement, which was this, to learn God's decrees and laws and be sure to follow them. God, who brought creation into existence by speaking the word, has ordained that his people, you and I, should live by hearing and obeying his word. And taking his word seriously involves so much more than just reading it or listening to it. 
It involves our whole, focusing our whole being on receiving what the Lord has to say to us and then obeying it. If you simply leave church this morning and throughout this week, you, you hear, you read God's word this morning, but you do not follow or obey it, you actually haven't really heard the word of God. In James chapter 1, verse 22, it says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. So whatever the Lord says to you this morning through his word, over the next six days before we meet again, do what it says. In James 2, 14, 17, it says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by actions, is dead. You see, God's word, we hear it, we, through our ears, it enters our head, but then through the power of the Holy Spirit, it needs to grip our hearts and become embedded in our hearts because ultimately then it's going to dictate how we live our lives. Head to heart to action. Taking God's word seriously is critical. And especially for that generation. At the end of verse 1, he says, so that. Why is this important? So that in the case of this second generation on the brink of possessing the land, he says you may live and may go in and take possession of the land the Lord, the God of their ancestors, is giving them. It was critical for them to take God's word seriously to survive in the new land. And I know kind of a little bit about how they might have felt because after I was out of school, finished my undergraduate degree for a number of years, I went into some more formal education. And for me, that was a big, nervous step. It had been a while since I'd been in formal education. And I remember going to my first seminary class, and I came back and I said to Jen, like one of the 10 spies, there's giants in that land. There's gi-. And I absolutely look like a grasshopper. In fact, I wouldn't even commute with one of the guys from this region because he was so smart, I didn't want to get caught in conversation with him. <laughs> so I took my own vehicle. But that's, that's how I felt. And then they gave me this book that really encouraged me that it's going to be okay. They gave me a handbook and it had said, The Survivor's Secrets. I went, see, I'm going to die. <laughs> but by God's grace and through the help of the Holy Spirit and my dear wife, Jen, we followed that Survivor's Secrets. And all those evil words like bibliography, indentation, all that stuff, right? But we got through it. We followed the Survivor's Secrets. This is what Moses is saying to them. You need to hear God's word and you need to follow it in order for you to live and that you might go in and take possession. Something the first generation did not experience because they did not take God's word seriously. And to emphasize for them just how critical it would be for this generation to obey God's word, Moses recalls for them in verses 3 and 4 a tragic incident from their past when they were camped at Abel Shittim. While there, some of the men began to engage in sexual immorality with the Moabite temple prostitutes. And since these sexual encounters were actually part of the pagan cult that was worshipped by the Moabites, the Israelite men were in essence participating in the Moabites' idolatrous worship. They had actually yoked themselves with the false god of the Moabites known as Baal Peor. And how serious do you think it is that we take God's word seriously? 
The consequence of these men not taking God's word seriously was 24,000 people died from a plague. As God's people, we must be careful that we do not become so close and friendly with the world or be polluted by the world because this can lead to us loving the world and being conformed to the world. That kind of careless living where we don't take God's word seriously sets yourself, sets myself up for the judgment and discipline of a holy, almighty God. And we're reminded in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 30 to 31, that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So be careful. But what do we see in verse 4? Here's the good news. We read in, we read in verse 4, all who held fast to the Lord were not part of that 24,000 who died. All who held fast to the Lord they got. How did they hold fast to the Lord they got? They heard. They followed. They didn't add to. They didn't subtract. They kept the commands of the Lord. They survived. They were alive to hear Moses landing the plane on his final sermon. What a testimony to the blessing of obedience. I trust you have personally experienced the blessing of obeying God's word and taking it seriously. You see, taking God's word seriously requires holding fast to what he has revealed to us through his word, even if we are in the minority. 24,000 did not take God's word seriously, but those who held fast to the Lord their God, they are alive to hear God's word. Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, verse 28, listen, blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. You want to live the blessed life? Hear God's word and obey it. Now, compare that description to what we read in Titus 1.16 of those who claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. Listen to the words that describe them. We have blessed are you if you obey God's word. And then on this side, we have those who claim to know God, but their actions deny that they really know him. They are described as detestable, disobedient, and unfit for anything good. This principle of being doers and not just hearers of God's word is a key theme that you will see throughout the scriptures. Take God's word seriously. But did you notice as we read through the first 15 verses, not only was obedience to God's word critical for them to live and go in and possess the land, but their obedience would serve as a witness it would serve as a witness to others of the greatness of their God. Look what it says in verse 6. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. You see, Israel's greatness in the eyes of the other nations would not be a result of their own strength or their own merit, but rather it would be a direct result of the blessing of being in covenant relationship with Almighty God. Knowing God and His will was Israel's supreme privilege. Do you ever consider that about your life? You wake up every day and go, what a privilege that I know God. And I know his will because he has given me his word. 
And that's why he did not want them to forget. So in verses 10 to 14, he takes them back to that marvelous day on Sinai amongst the fire and the smoke when they heard God's voice. And he established their, his covenant with them by giving, him, giving them the Ten Commandments. For the Israelites, having created God, reveal themselves through the gracious gift of his words, the Torah, and establish a covenant with them was unique to them. A grace, listen, only exceeded and superseded by God's revelation of himself through the gift of the living word. Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. Listen how John records that. Moses is saying, don't forget this day at Sinai. And John is saying to us today, don't forget how God has revealed himself through the living word, Jesus. The word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Out of his fullness, we have received grace in place of grace already given. Listen, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Like the Israelites, we must not forget that great day when God graciously, through Christ's sacrificial death on the cross, provided the means by which you and I today, in 2024, can be in covenant relationship with the same God who the people were following in the valley of Beth Peor. God gave his people the law to make them morally and spiritually unique among the other nations. And through their obedience to his word, make himself known to those other nations. They and we have the privilege of the mission to represent God to other people because we are blessed with the knowledge of his word. Through our obedience to God's word, we have the privilege of being used by him to testify to his greatness. We just sang a song, I will give my life to declare you're a king. How are you going to do that? Obey. Obey. Obey the word that he's given us. That's how you will declare to the world that Jesus is king. Have you ever thought of your obedience as a means by which God would draw others to a knowledge of himself? We often think of obedience as something between God and I. It's so much more than that. It's an evangelistic opportunity. That's what obedience is. You declare to the world how great God is, and they become aware of how great God is through our obedience. Taking God's word seriously would result in Israel's wisdom and understanding becoming the envy of other nations. Is there anybody in your workplace envious of your life? Is anybody in my neighborhood envious of the life that I enjoy in Jesus Christ? What a privilege to belong, to advertise the only wise God who is not only near us, but lives in us through the Holy Spirit and whom we can pray to. What a privilege to have the word of God through which we came to experience his saving grace and through which we can know his will. What a privilege. Therefore, he says to them in verse 9, in light of his grace, be careful. 
Watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. There's a responsibility we have with this amazing grace that we have his word and that we can know him personally. And in his sermons, Moses stresses the responsibility of parents to pass on their experiences with the living God. That's so important. Sometimes as Christian parents, we're very good at passing on the knowledge of God. But what about your personal experience with God? Pass that on to your children and the knowledge that you've gained from him. Moms and dads, I'm including myself here. Taking God's word seriously is not only essential for our survival, for our life, for our spiritual well-being, but our obedience to God's commands will be a witness to our children of the greatness and nearness of God. Do your kids know that God is great and he is near? What are your children learning about, the, about God through watching you? The next generation needs to see that we as their parents hear, we follow. We don't add to, we don't take away. We simply commit to keeping the word of God. So I ask you, do your actions, your life choices testify that you take God's word seriously? Do others see the greatness of God through your life? Or has your witness been tarnished because of your disobedience to God's word? In what areas of your life are you potentially inviting the discipline of God? Be very careful. Watch yourselves. And what are you doing about those areas of your life where you're not taking God's word seriously? It matters. How we live really matters. Let's pick up our text. Verse 15. Follow along. You saw no form of any kind the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the fire. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully so that you do not become corrupt and make for yourselves an idol, an image of any shape, whether formed like a man or a woman, or like any animal on earth or any bird that flies in the air, or like any creature that moves along the ground or any fish in the waters below. And when you look up to the sky and see the, the sun, the moon, and the stars, all the heavenly array, do not be enticed into bowing down to them and worshiping things the Lord your God has apportioned to all the nations under heaven. But as for you, the Lord took you and brought you out of the iron smelting furnace out of Egypt to be the people of his inheritance as you now are. The Lord was angry with me because of you. And he solemnly swore that I would not cross the Jordan and enter the good land the Lord your God has given you as your inheritance. Moses is highlighting the consequences of not taking God's word seriously. Verse 22, I will die in this land. I will not cross the Jordan, but you're about to cross over and take possession of the good land. So please be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that he made with you. Do not make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything the Lord your God has forbidden. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. After you have had children and grandchildren and have lived in the land a long time, if you then become corrupt and make any kind of idol, doing evil in the eyes of the Lord your God and arousing his anger, I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you this day that you will quickly perish from the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. You will not live there long, but will certainly be destroyed. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and only a few of you will survive among the nations to which the Lord will drive you. There you will worship man-made gods of wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or eat or smell. But if from there 
You seek the Lord your God. You will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in distress and all these things have happened to you, then in later days you will return to the Lord your God and obey him. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your ancestors, which he confirmed to them by oath. The first thing we need to realize is on the journey, we need to take God's word seriously. The second thing we need to realize is that on the journey, we need to avoid becoming corrupt. We must avoid becoming corrupt. Moses in this section is referring back to that glorious and powerful day at Mount Sinai when God revealed his words through his voice to the Israelites. And Moses in verse 15a focuses their attention on something very significant about that moment. Verse 15, you saw no form of any kind the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the fire. God had revealed his presence out of the fire that day with only his voice. They heard him, but they did not see him. Therefore, Moses warns them, second half of verse 15, start of 16, because you did not see him, watch yourselves very carefully so that you do not become corrupt and make for yourselves an idol. We know from studying God's word that Israel in the past had struggled with idolatry and the immoral practices associated with it. While they were living in Egypt, they got their first taste of it and then even practiced it during the wilderness wanderings. Remember when the Israelites got impatient with Moses in Exodus chapter 32? He was taking so long to come down from the mountain, meeting with the Lord, and what did they do? They said to Aaron, come, make us gods, small g, who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. And sadly, Aaron caved to the majority. He did not hold fast to the Lord. And with the gold he collected from the earrings from the people, they made an idol in the shape of a calf, and they bowed down to it and sacrificed to it, saying, imagine, imagine, in light of what God has just done for them. You see how quickly we forget? These are your gods, Israel. Seriously? Who brought you up out of Egypt? You think the Lord's okay with that? when we substitute his rightful place in our lives with someone or something else? Listen what the Lord said to Moses. Exodus chapter 32, verses seven and eight. Go down. Because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. On the journey, we must be careful and avoid becoming corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded. Do you see how that happens? Avoid becoming corrupt. How does that happen? Turning quickly away from what the Lord has commanded. If you don't want to become corrupt on the journey, hold fast to what the Lord has commanded. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They've bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are the gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Watch yourself carefully so you don't quickly turn away from what God has commanded. And what has he commanded? You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. 
And so Moses, aware of their past history as a nation, pleads with the second generation as they move into the promised land, please do not become corrupt by worshiping any man-made image or as we see in verse 19, anything also created by God. Because human tendency is to always worship the creation rather than the creator. And listen closely, a tendency that if left unchecked leads to moral and spiritual depravity. I encourage you this afternoon, read Romans chapter 1, verses 21 to 32. You will read a description of the world we currently live in. That's why Moses urges them, watch yourselves. Watch yourselves very carefully. Because he says in verse 20, the Lord took you and brought you out of the iron smelting furnace out of Egypt to be the people of his inheritance as you now are. Israel was not the same as all the other nations under heaven because of their unique encounter and covenant relationship with God. By God's grace, they had been chosen to be a witness nation for him. By God's grace, we have been chosen to live in the neighborhoods and work in the places and go to the schools we go to as a witness to his greatness. And when they began to imitate the other nations and corrupt themselves by worshiping detestable gods, they ceased to be a nation devoted wholly to the Lord. I appreciate what one author said as I read it this week. When people forget the grace of God... That's why I was taken aback by his holiness this morning. When people forget the grace of God in redemption, revelation, his word, and covenant relationship through Jesus Christ, they become ungrateful, have no fear of God, and act corruptly. And before we think too highly of ourselves, I was challenged this week by John Calvin's statement that human nature is a perpetual factory of idols. Human nature is a perpetual factory of idols. So lest we think we're all that, let's be careful. Watch ourselves carefully. Each of us are capable of becoming idolatrous, becoming corrupt by simply forgetting the Lord and all his benefits. And when one forgets God, we will fill that void with someone or something. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. Never forget who you are and what your mission is. Never forget it. First Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so Moses reminds them in verse 23, be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that he made with you. Do not make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything the Lord your God has forbidden. Listen, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Remember how serious God takes our allegiance to him. He takes it seriously. God is zealous to protect what belongs to him. And being in covenant relationship with God must carry with it a certain fear of being unfaithful. 
He will not tolerate another receiving the honor that is due only to him. In Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8, we read, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. The forgetting of the covenant is not only a cognitive problem of memory, but is also a failure to maintain the commitment that was made at Sinai. It's like marriage. Married people remember their wedding. Husbands, do you remember the date? June 3rd, 1995, Wortley Baptist Church, London, Ontario. I remember Jen and my wedding. And I remember that day, as you do, that you took vows. But listen closely. What we sometimes forget, not cognitively, but in our failures and in our compromises, what we forget is the commitment we made to each other in those vows. It's not just a memory thing, but it's also a heart thing. Is my heart committed to maintaining my covenant requirements with Jen? I know what God's requirements are for me, but is my heart committed to maintaining my covenant requirements with God so that it will be revealed through my actions? And so Moses, in verses 25 to 28, warns the people of the consequences of not remaining committed to the covenant requirements. There we read, they will become corrupt, perish from the land, they are crossing the Jordan possessed. They will not live long, but will certainly be destroyed, and they will be scattered among the peoples. And only a few of you will survive. Oh, people, please avoid becoming corrupt. But if you find yourself in that place that Moses describes in verses 25 to 28, far from where God intended you to be, if you find your life is consumed with the idols that you worship, substitutes for God's rightful place in your life, maybe you're there today. God has great news for you. And in verse 29 and 30 we read, but if from there, if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you're in distress and all these things have happened to you, these things, the consequences of not taking God's word seriously, then in later days you will return to the Lord your God and obey him. Living in future exile, second generation, far from where God intended you to be, in distress, I have good news you will return to the Lord your God and obey him. Why? Verse 31. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your ancestors, which he confirmed to them by oath. That's good news. Life in the promised land was always conditional on Israel's obedience even though the covenant God made with the patriarchs was not conditional. Disobedience is never without consequences, but within the providence of God, a remnant of Israel would remain. Aren't you thankful the God you serve is merciful? He does not always give you what you deserve. Aren't you glad in spite of our own idolatry, he does not abandon, destroy, or forget those who are in covenant relationship with him? Be encouraged, as it says in Philippians 1.6, be confident of this, 
that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God will mercifully, not because they deserve it, fulfill the covenant he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob with repentant Israel in the future. And so I ask you, is there anything or anyone that is rivaling God's rightful place in your life? What do you give the best of your time, talents, and resources to that might help to filter what is becoming an idol? Are you seeking the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul? If not, what are you doing about that? Because how we live really matters. We're to take God's word seriously and we're to avoid becoming corrupt. And finally, and as I read this passage again yesterday, do you, maybe you will be able to relate to this. Do you, do you ever watch sporting events on TV? And you see a play developing on maybe this side of the rink or this side of the field, the soccer pitch, whatever it is. Maybe it's a track event. And it starts here, and you start to hear people on this side go, ooh. And then an amazing second play goes, and as the play goes across, the crowd starts to stand. And these people go, whoa. And then the, the next play happens that either scores the goal or scores the touchdown. And everyone goes, wow. It's like the wave. It's like, oh. Oh, yes. That's what I felt. I pictured in my mind what it must have been like that day as, as Moses was landing the sermon and he's hitting the final climax of what he has to say to these dear people that he loves about how they live. And so I'm going to ask you as we read the final verses, verses 32 to 40, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet for the reading of God's word as Moses challenges them. Verse 32 Ask now about the former days. Just picture Moses preaching to them in the valley of Beth Peor. Ask now about the former days, long before your time. From the day God created human beings on the earth, ask from one end of the heavens to the other, has anything so great as this ever happened? Or has anything like it ever been heard of? Has any other people heard the voice of God speaking out of fire as you have and lived? Has any God ever tried to take for himself one nation out of another nation by testings, by signs, and wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, or by great and awesome deeds like all the things the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your very eyes? I'm sure the crowd was silent. You were showing these things so that you might know that the Lord is God. Besides him, there is no other. From heaven, he made you hear his voice to discipline you. On earth, he showed you his great fire and you heard his words from out of the fire. Because he loved your ancestors and chose their descendants after them, he brought you out of Egypt by his presence and his great strength to drive out before you nations greater and stronger than you and to bring you into the land to give it to you for your inheritance as it is today. Brothers and sisters, Sisters, acknowledge and take heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth below. There is no other. Therefore, keep his decrees and commands which I'm giving you today so that it may go well with you and your children after you and that you may live in the land the Lord your God gives you for all time. That was the word of the Lord for them that day. Amen? You can be seated. The final thing on the journey, daily acknowledge and take to heart God's grace in your life. Daily acknowledge and take to heart God's grace in your life. Israel's experience of salvation is without parallel or comparison in all of human history. 
And in a miraculous act, Yahweh invaded Egypt, snatched them from the clutches of Pharaoh and Egypt's gods and brought them to himself. Therefore, this generation, having looked back through the first three chapters, could cross the Jordan confidently, knowing that Yahweh is supreme in heaven, but he is also present with them on earth. Do you realize that? Yahweh is supreme in heaven, and he lives in you through the Holy Spirit. And their arrival at the Jordan River was evidence of their uniqueness among the nations as a result of the incomparable grace of God who brought them there. Oh, as I was encouraged this week, Calvin regularly take time to reflect and rejoice in all the great and gracious ways God has made things happen in my life so that I can know him and experience his presence. In all of human history, no other nation had the privilege that Israel had of hearing God speak to them, surviving that and being given his law to guide them. Nor had any other people been so blessed to be chosen, delivered from bondage by such miracles, but such miracles as Israel saw. Calvin, recalling his grace, strengthens your heart and reminds me who I belong to. There is no other God. God did all that for the Israelites to reveal to them that he alone is God. He himself brought them up out of Egypt. Therefore, the second generation had no reason to doubt of his elective grace or his enabling power as they're about to be on the move. And this truth needed to become deeply engraved in their minds and embedded in their hearts, and it needs to become engraved in our minds and embedded in our hearts that God is with us. The battle's not over yet for them. But because Yahweh had proved himself faithful in the past, they had grounds for hope in the future. God made a covenant with his people and he expected them to keep it. And the terms of it were pretty clear. If Israel obeyed the laws of God, he would bless them. If they disobeyed, he would chasten them, showing his love to them in both the blessing and the chastening. For whom the Lord loves he chastens. The Lord had not chosen any other nation to be in covenant relationship with them, nor had he spoken to any other nation and given them its, his holy law. It wasn't because Israel deserved these blessings. It was solely based on God's grace and everlasting love. And that is your story and that is my story too. I don't have time to read it this morning, but please this afternoon read Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10. Their story is our story. We have saved by grace through faith alone in Christ. God's grace and his everlasting love has allowed you and I to be in covenant relationship with him. And when Moses gave the law to the first generation at Sinai, the emphasis was on the fear of the Lord. But as we've witnessed today, his application of the law and giving it to the second generation magnified God's love for them. And their responsibility to respond to him in love through obedience. God's amazing grace and love is what should drive us to want to hear, follow, and keep his commands. When you think of the commands of God through the lens of his grace in your life, they no longer seem like a burden, but a precious, precious treasure. I close with this. I remember the summer I got to go to Dawson City, Yukon, where my brother-in-law and uh, his wife's family were gold miners and I actually got to pan for gold. 
It was really cool because I wasn't doing the tourist thing. I was actually helping the company, and it was really neat. And so we were there at the Klondike River with the pan, and there's a process. And you've got to be committed to the process if you want to find the jewel. And so we were panning and water and da-da-da and shaking and da-da-da-da-da. And I remember when I looked at the bottom and I saw flecks of shiny gold. I couldn't believe it. I was like, this is like real gold. Like this isn't fool's gold. This is real gold. And I was so excited that what I had gone through at the end of the process resulted in this. And I was just like, this is amazing. Is that how you view God's commands? Listen to what the psalmist writes in Psalm 119. Because I love your commands more than gold, more than pure gold. And because I consider all your precepts right, I hate every wrong path. Your statutes are wonderful, therefore I obey them. The unfolding of your words gives light, it gives understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant, longing for your commands. Is that honestly how my life is described? Do I daily open my mouth, pant, and long for God's word? Turn to me and have mercy on me, as you always do to those who love your name. Direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. Is God's grace in your life still amazing to you? It's amazing grace, but is it still amazing to you? Do you often think of his gracious acts on your behalf, or have you allowed them to fade from your heart, does God's grace impact how you live? If not, what are you doing about that? Because how we live really matters. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. We have preached about it today, the gift, the precious gift of knowing your will for our lives, your guide, your direction for how we are to live as your people on journey, on mission with you. Thank you for your word. And God, I pray that we would be people, as we just read, as the psalmist read, we would be people with our mouths open, panting, longing to know your commands. Oh God, help us, I pray, in light of your amazing grace to us, to be people who are very careful, watchful, how we're living, so that we will live in a way that pleases you in light of your amazing grace. We love you. Thank you that you have given us everything we need for our journey to please you. Thank you, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So church family, in light of God's amazing grace in our lives, let's go this week and advertise. Let's advertise how great our God is. And how are we going to do that? We're going to take his word seriously. We're going to avoid becoming corrupt. And we're going to daily acknowledge and take to heart God's grace in our lives. Go and be doers of his word. God bless you.